My name is Kerry Kite. I'm an Air Force veteran and a writer, producer, and entrepreneur. Day to day, I produce advertising content for a creative agency in New York City. But through this podcast, I'm turning my passion into a practice. I separated from the Air Force in 2010 after four years of service. And since that time, through using the post 9-11 GI Bill to go to college, working hourly jobs to pay the bills, and freelancing my way into a career, I've studied what it takes to successfully transition from service to civilian. That study is becoming a conversation. On this podcast, I will speak to fellow veterans, successful artists, entrepreneurs, and business people about their transition. What did they do well? Where did they fail? What did they learn? And most importantly, how did they apply their skills? My first guest is Scott Daly, a Navy SEAL and the director of training at Focus 3. Our conversation was great. Couldn't have asked for a better way to kick veteran made off. Scott's insights about systems and their application in the marketplace come from a deep knowledge and a wide range of experiences. Welcome. This is Veteran Made. Welcome, Scott. Um, if you could uh, start uh, by just telling us uh, who you are, what you do now, and and um, and and where it all started for you in service. My name is Scott Daly. Uh, I currently work for Focus Three. Um, very familiar. You should be familiar with Focus Three. You know, it's your dad's company, and and that's kind of how we met. My uh, my job there is I'm the director of training at Focus Three. I spend my time uh, doing both an education and facilitation of behavioral skill training, uh, leadership skills, and then help people develop the cultural standards in their organization so that they can take that forward and actually drive performance. Uh, how I ended up in that spot was I actually ran into your father on a flight from Columbus to San Diego. When I first got out of active duty, I found a career uh, using the network of folks that I knew in selling technology for Raytheon. And so I did that work with Raytheon and that's when I met your dad, uh, came to see what he did. I fell in love with the, not just the content, but the, the mission that he had to help people improve. And, and that was kind of my journey when coming out of active duty. Um, kind of the storyline behind that, the background is uh, I graduated Ohio State in 1998. Uh, I went on to get my dream job of selling vacuums door to door. Yeah, uh, took, that, took that career and actually morphed into working for ADP, the payroll company. And so I worked for them for about four years until 9-11 happened. And when 9-11 happened, I had this epiphany, there's more I can do than Hawk and payroll. And so uh, I went down to enlist. And, and even though I had a degree, I had a family member that was already in the SEAL teams. And he said, he goes, if you want to do this job, that it's hard, you want to go ahead and, and enlist. So I enlisted, uh, had a couple hurdles to get through to get into the military. And this is post 9-11. I got in, I graduated from SEAL training in BUDS class 247. Um, went on to deploy three different times for the SEAL teams. And then I came back and I took over as a head instructor for the Naval Special Warfare Breacher School. And then I taught there for about almost three and a half years to where I transitioned from active duty to reserves. And so I've been a reservist now for about seven and a half years. Got about a year left to retirement. I'm almost there and uh, so close. And so I, I think my experience was I had all those transitioning hiccups that I think you could possibly have. What, um, what was the, the first experience like transitioning from active duty? What was the first hurdle and hiccup that you experienced? 
so I, I thought I prepared pretty well in my, in my mind and in my experience is like, Hey, I've, I've, we've saved up some money. We've got a, a financial cushion. We're selling our house in Virginia. And the first thing I found was because we moved so much in the military, selling my house in Virginia, we took a loss. We actually didn't make money. And so the first thing was I'm already starting in a hole. And so my wife had <clears throat> moved back to Ohio and got an apartment while I was still finishing my active duty time. So, so like a lot of folks, you're separated from your family in that first little, there's this weird juxtaposition where you're still in your service area and they're, they're back home. And so that was a, a bit of a transition shock for me because we had our, our three-year-old at the time. And so she was back in Ohio, she was finding us an apartment and it was just a lot of transition issues. I thought I had a career kind of set up. A good friend of mine has his own company and said, hey, you can come work for me, do this work. You could set up your own franchise in Columbus, Ohio, and it'll be fantastic. And love him, college roommates, great friends. I just realized very quickly my plans, my best laid plans fell apart immediately. I got home, I started to work with him, and I realized I hated the work that he did. No, it's not him. It's, I hated the work. I didn't want to do it. It was from my career in special warfare to that suddenly I was pulling wire. And for me, it just, it wasn't kind of where I, my bread and butter is. And so I struggled there and I, and I, and I didn't know what to do. And then I finances, if you, if you start to watch, this is the scary part is when you start to watch your, your, your savings account, just continually go down and you're watching the money and you're starting to panic a little bit. And you're like, okay, I have a wife and a child and, and rent to pay. And what do we do now? Now, one of the benefits though is my wife's exceptionally fiscally smart. And so we didn't have any real debt. That's huge. When you were, um, when you were uh, getting ready to finish up active duty, had you, or, or during your time in active duty, had you thought um, intentionally about what your next career would be and what you would want to do? And I wanted to run my own business. And, and that's what the presentation of my friend went. And, and he was, he was honest and, and he didn't, he didn't take advantage or anything that, that of my, of my skill sets or anything. And, and he actually followed through on everything he committed to. It just wasn't the right fit for me. And, and I, to this day, I, I, I thank him and appreciate him for that. And I was able to pay him back in the long run uh, with some help on some connections for him. But I had this plan. It's like, I'm going to start my own business. I'm going to run it. I know how well he's done. It took some time to get there. I, I expected to have a ramp up. I didn't expect to just come out and make tons of money. Um, my big challenge, which is unique to, to not everybody that's coming out of active duty is as a seal, everybody's trying to pull on you to do, do something big, do it, do a book, do a this, do a that. And, I, and I, it's just not me. And so I didn't do any of those things. And I just wanted to be successful and drive my own train. And so when I got out and I, and I started just, this isn't for me. And that's when panic hit. I don't know what I want to do or what I want to be when I grow up. <laughs> and so I'm sitting there. Now, now for me, I had some unique things. I already had a college degree. I already had sales experience with a Fortune 500 company. I had some things in my corner that not everybody probably has. And so the transition, I was like, okay, I can apply and just take a sales job somewhere. But is that all I want to do? And so I was, I, I, I drummed my fingers and, and in, the, in my panic, I did the one thing I knew to do and that's reach back to the brotherhood, reach back to the people I knew and a lot of people, I still had their cell phone number, but I didn't know how to contact them all the way. And I literally reached back to my very first platoon chief. And, and I said, as I was called Dan, I said, Dan, I need help. I was like, I, I, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> I'm lost. And it was amazing how quickly he came to my aid to say, Hey, let me see if I can help you out. And, and I think that that's part of the reputation you build in the military. will decide whether those people are going to be in your corner afterwards. So you need to build that reputation. 
I think that his help literally was a life-changing moment for me. And it was the network working together to help each other be successful. And so I reached out to him and he found me a job working for a, uh, first kind of contracting with him and then working with a company out of Boston that worked with Raytheon. And so, yes, I ended up back in sales because it's kind of my niche, but it helped me find a career path. So. Was, was that a difficult conversation? Uh phone call to make it was because it was it was kind of a for me it felt like an admittance of failure it, it felt like man you you failed in your civilian career you you didn't do what you said you were going to do and and i had the challenges of looking at my wife in the eyes watching the money dwindle and looking at my son going okay i have to keep putting food on the table and i kind of felt like i was just a kind of a failure in that moment and, and mind you everything so far in my career had been a lot of success. Now, now, mind you, I failed in the SEAL teams. I, I actually got rolled back. I was in class 246 and got rolled into 247. I've experienced failure. And what you do with failure is kind of the key. And, and I think this is something I want a lot of veterans to know is you've got failures in your history, failures in training, failures in, in, a, in a platoon or whatever organization you're in. And what did you do? You got better, you improved, you did the, the things necessary to get better. And I needed to apply those skills in the civilian world. That, that, hey, I know how to deal with failure. I know how to overcome obstacles. And, and I needed to use that. And I'll be honest, there was a month or two where I just, I wasn't accessing that. I was just kind of having a pity party, to be honest. And I, I kind of sat kind of, the stress level just kept mounting. And as that stress kept coming up, it, it was causing problems at home. We were fighting more. I was like, nah, I'll be honest, I was drinking more too. So that was a combination of effects. One thing that 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 uh, that I've noticed in in my own transition is the structure of the military uh, was extremely helpful. Um, and once I I separated, I didn't have that structure anymore. So I felt like that the uh, the the work ethic and the drive that I had worked really really well within the confines of the structure that the military created. But then once it was all on me you know, BAH wasn't coming in. I wasn't getting paid tw twice, uh, twice a month. I, all that stuff wasn't, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to channel that, that drive and that work ethic that I had developed from basic all the way through service. Um, did the, did the, did the Navy or the DOD, what was the transition process like officially for you? Um, and then, and then what's the difference between that and how Dan and your other teammates were able to help you? I, I found TAPS, I don't know if they call it TAPS in the other military services, but so the TAPS program to me was a colossal joke. It was a week long shenanigan. And somehow in a week, they taught people how to write a resume and, and having experienced my, I have four older brothers, um, very successful. And when I took the resume, they kind of helped me craft, if you will. Um, my brother's like, this is terrible. Uh, why would you, you, for a professional career, this is not a good resume. And so it was interesting. He, he helped me rewrite it. And he said, Hey, you want to put down this thing about Naval Special Warfare, what it is. And so I just like cut and paste, right? So, so, so mind you, this is kind of my funny in, in using the TAPS program. I wrote my own resume and doing that. And so I cut and pasted what Naval Special Warfare's mission is into my, my resume. And my brother, Chris, my brother, Tim, both called me and said, well, you're going to get a lot of interviews. I said, why is that like, because you put kill people on your resume. <laughs> and I was like, I did. I was like, well, the mission of Naval Special Warfare has in it that I was like, oh yeah, that's, that's true. Um, so there's some things you want, pitfalls you want to, hey, 
maybe that's not the right thing to put on your resume, just FYI. But, but what I did was I, I didn't translate my skills very well. TAPS didn't do a great job of translating what you did on a day-to-day basis into marketable skills. Now, if you think about that, I was the head instructor for a course. So I had budget, working within budgets, finding funding sources. I had done the things of acquiring gears, I had logistics of moving people. I had equipment that I was managing. I had people I was managing. I had reports that I was doing. I was doing mid-level management experience, but it didn't show that on my resume. And so TAPS doesn't prepare you for that. I don't think the people that they have there are really aimed at helping you get a better career. My opinion of TAPS was they wanted you to take whatever comes your way, just find something. And a good portion of TAPS was how to get your social, how to get your social security and, and your unemployment. And to me, I was like, you're starting people off with failure. Let me show you how to fail first. I'm like, nah, okay. Not that that stuff's something you don't want to know, but help me find a career. Have someone who coaches me, get, assign me a coach, give me some help. And they gave me nothing. So um, how did you learn to take the skills that you learned as a SEAL and as an instructor um, and apply them in the civilian sector in, your, in, your, in that, first, that first job back out of active duty? I did some research online. So I did some searching and trying to dig in through things. And then also I, I kind of, I, again, I had a benefit. I had a lot of things in my favor. I had really successful brothers that were in really great careers that were able to help me look at this and say, okay, well, well, let's look at what you did. And he helped me translate the actual activities into the marketable skills people are looking for. And so he helped me correct. I sent him copies. We, we edited back and forth and, and it was really good. And I actually got a, a lot of interest from that. But because the process, it, it, people have this image in the military, you get a job. Think about what we do. When, when you get orders, what happens? You just move from job to job. You're just in a new job. And here's, here's the part I think that people struggle with is the idea that I have a guaranteed paycheck. It's easy to operate in the confines of the structure when you know the paycheck is consistent. It's going to be there. It doesn't matter if they make me dig ditches. Okay, I'll dig ditches. Who cares? I get a paycheck anyways. And so I can live in that structure because there's no, the financial stress shouldn't be there because it's consistent. Come to the civilian world and you realize that that structure may not be consistent. Uh, you may not have that, that kind of consistency and you can lose your job. And a good friend of mine uh, um, that's transitioned prior to me and he was a disabled vet and he does a lot of other stuff on the outside. And he said, he goes, you know, the average veteran, now this is just his research from several years ago, so it might be changed now. He said, the average veteran lasts six months in their job before they're either fired or they quit. And, and I think there's a lot of issues there with that. We like that structure and, and the military prepared me for some things, but not the fact that when you go to the civilian market, it's no longer, we're all on the same team and I'll do anything for you. Now it's, I'm fighting for position, for finances, for career path, where I never did that before. Think of the military. It's, it's, it's very structured in its mobili- upward mobility. It says, hey, if you do these things, you'll make rank. If you do these things, you will get promoted. If you're here long enough and you keep a pulse, you're going to get promoted. That's not the way the civilian world works. And that transition, I think, is the thing they don't prepare you for. To mentally say, hey, you are no longer guaranteed anything you now are, are only guaranteed an opportunity and that's about it. You're not even guaranteed that. Yeah. So um, g- getting all the help from, from 
your brothers and then and from Dan and then working, um, you said back with Raytheon, um, how did you take, uh, what was the progression like from from there to where you are now? Um, and how did you implement all, the, all those skills along the way with without help from, from the DOD and the Navy? Yeah, so I having had a sales background to begin with, with the Raytheon side of things, it was different because it was remote. And this is something that, that is another thing. It's a really big challenge. Suddenly being a remote employee. I, my boss was in Boston. Dan was in Virginia. I, I was literally flying solo and it was on me to create structure. And so not helped by that size. Like, how do you create structure? And I, and I will say this, I do have one benefit by being the lead instructor and head of a course. I was the one in charge of creating the structure. I was like, Hey, this is when we're going to teach this class. This is how we're going to function today. This is the things we're going to get done. This is how we structure our day in order to be successful. Did you receive, and so, sorry, pausing for a second. Did you receive uh, instruction on how to instruct? What was the training? Like did, did the prior instructor of that course, did you shadow that person or what, what, what was the yeah. process like there? So, so a friend of mine, Steve, Steve had run the course prior to me and, and Steve had said, okay, well, you're probably gonna take the course over when I move up. Steve's now a master chief, God love him. And, uh, but Steve said, he goes, Hey, these are the, he kind of gave me some of the fundamentals. And then when I took over the senior chief that was in charge of me as a chief, um, kind of let me run the, my own ship, not a lot of guidance from him, but I, I was able to get, he kind of allowed me to fail. Uh, I'm not sure if all of his allowing me to fail was helpful, but I mean, some of it allowing me to fail did help some because I had to learn, though I knew leadership in a, in, a, in a way, this was leadership that was different than platoon leadership. And, and, and that's what's kind of critical. Take advantage of your military career. And, and while you're in it, get experience in the different things. Learn to lead, learn to follow. But I kind of developed some of the skills just from baptism by fire. And so you say, okay, well, hey, people didn't do what I thought they were supposed to do. Why? Because I wasn't clear about it. Or, or people, people took advantage because I was trying to do the work myself and because I was a doer. And now all of a sudden now I'm a leader and I had to change. So there's, there's some transition. So throughout your career, if you became um, oh, non-commissioned officers, if you're into that spot in NCOs, you get some learning there. There's a learning curve that you're managing people and equipment and time. And so hopefully people are paying attention. And I think it's too easy while active to not pay attention, to, to become Mr. Wendell and just time to make the donuts. I go in, I do my thing. And I want people to start, pay attention to the skills you're building, get good at them. 100%. Okay, so sorry, I, 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 I took us back a little bit. So uh, talking about from Raytheon to, to where you are now, you said you were pulling from that instructor experience and how did you how did you apply everything you just talked about intentionally yourself as you move forward yeah so so the at the raytheon side with the experience of that i started to build my own structure how i how i built contacts the kind of what i wanted to do throughout my work day and it, it was good it had a lot of opportunity in that career but it's just i found that it wasn't the right fit for me as well it just it was personality conflicts the way we did things it, it just wasn't again right and so I was working, I was, I was medium successful was kind of bothered me a little bit. And that's when I actually got on the flight from Columbus to San Diego. I was going to see San Diego gas and electric to have a business meeting. And lo and behold, my seatmate in the exit row was Tim kite. And so your dad was sitting next to me and, and he and I started chatting and, and because I have the, the control right now, he doesn't get to tell the story. So he was looking at my computer, I was looking at his, and, and he started to ask me some questions. And, and we kind of invested, kind of sniffed each other out a little bit. 
And your dad said, hey, were you in the military? I said, yeah. I was like, yeah, a little military. He goes, and he looked at me for a minute. He goes, you were in special operations, weren't you? And it was weird because I hadn't said anything, projected anything. He just kind of picked that up. Maybe he had some, some inclinations. And so we started to chat. And, and what I realized, what was really neat there is I found, I, as he spoke to me, I started to hear things that did appeal to me. I started to hear things in, in what he presented that, that kind of touched the core of what I wanted to do. Because I think about when, as an instructor, I took it very personal. The, the things that we taught guys to take overseas, the skill sets, were going to be the difference in life and death in a platoon. Do, do they do it right? I mean, it, you do a breaching problem wrong, you could kill everybody. You do, it, it was very high risk training, but I took it very personally and very professionally. And from what I heard from Tim kind of gave me that same feel like, Hey, I want to help people be successful. I want to make sure that they're successful in their life. And so I was like, okay, this is appealing. It's kind of interesting. Now, mind you, the Raytheon job paid really well. I got home. I told my wife, I was like, Hey, this, this crazy old man on a flight uh, was talking to me, told me I should come listen to him speak. He goes, I'd be a good fit for what they do. And very tentatively, I said, yes, I would go listen. And I think this is one of the other lessons here is when opportunities come, do not blow them off. Do not, do not ignore them. Don't get that ah, crazy old guy. Instead, when Tim invited me to come listen to him speak, I went. And so when I went, I heard him speak and he was teaching about the R factor, which is a behavioral skill piece that we teach at, at, at Focus 3. And as he spoke to it, he was, he was talking about certain behavioral skill pieces. And in the middle of his speech, in an auditorium with 500 people, he stops and goes, Scott, why don't you tell them about that? And I'm sitting in the front row next to Brenda's wife. And, and I was like, uh, excuse me? And so it was kind of, it was very much like the sink or swim military moments. Like, well, it's now or never. You either stand up or do this. And I, I stood up, I answered the question. I, I spoke to it. And I think that was kind of Tim's bellwether to say, hey, you know what? He might be good at this. And so I took it on my time to go observe. And I went and watched Tim speak. I watched Brian speak. I went, his son, Brian, your brother, Brian, went and I went and saw Brian speak. I observed and I went and I listened and I paid attention. And, and I had to kind of humble myself a little bit to realize that I'm not very good at this yet. And I think you want to give another skill set to the veteran, be humble. Be willing to learn, be willing to say, I, I have places to grow. That's critical. Now, is that that um, humility in, you know, in, in some, uh, obviously, special warfare is, is different than, than the conventional side. Um, and I think that, that that baptism by fire and that sort of like forced humility probably uh, exists a little bit more on the special warfare side than it does on the conventional warfare side. Is that true? I think it does, but I think, I don't think it's completely unique. I think you're asking young people who maybe only serve four years or maybe they serve eight years. They, they had to find humility. There's a lot of humility to be taken from whatever your role is in the military. When you go through boot camp, you are truly going to learn humility. You're going to learn that where you were able to, I don't have to do that. Oh yeah. Yeah. You do actually have to do that. And the humility to say, I'm going to struggle with some things. Big example, pistol shooting. I was, I'd shot rifles before I'd shot hunting things, but I had to humble myself and say, I'm not good at this and I need instruction. And, and there's a lot of humility in the military to say, I'm going to follow direction. I don't always agree with the person that's in charge, but I still have to follow directions. And I, and I think there is humility for everybody in there. And the willingness to submit yourself to leadership that you may or may not agree with, kind of a skill set. I can navigate in a world that, I don't always agree with. 
uh, there's a funny meme out there that just has a picture of grass and it says it's it's really funny how a lot of you many of you've never had the government ruin your plans and it shows <laughs> and every one of us in the military goes hey i get it they've ruined every how many of you on a deployment said you'll be home in this month and you're like honey i'm not gonna be home yet and I don't agree with their decision, but I have to humble myself and still do my job. Yeah. So I think one of the, one of the, uh, I think the, the key or the core strength uh, of what focus three does is systematizing uh, everything that you're talking about. So can you take us through a little bit uh, high level, what focus three does and then what you do there and then how you've taken uh, everything that you've learned and applied it to this system and then how you've made the system better yourself by applying those skills that you've developed? Yeah, uh, we start with some uh, simple physics and the physics of how groups of people work. And, and many veterans will identify this like leadership creates culture. Culture drives behavior and behavior produces results. That's the performance pathway. And, and the way it's written is that leadership by what they practice. So what they're doing, lead by example, what they promote, what they ask others to do and what they permit, what they'll allow people to get away with is what builds culture. And, and those cultural standards have to be clear concise and compelling. I want people to understand what the standards are. And I think the best military units kind of stand out and everybody's been a part of units that they're like, this thing's a mess. Um, and if you look back, you can see it was either a failure in leadership, did not create a solid culture. The culture was not, people's behavior did not reflect the standards and we didn't get the result. But the ones that were high performing, those leaders were very clear about what they expected. They held everybody to the standard. They, they culturally were very clear about the behavioral standards and people executed them and they got the results. And so for me, teaching them the, the leadership piece is very fundamental because it's about trust and results. And so I learned a lot of the things that we do in the teams that we take for granted, we, we, we built the system, but we never broke it down into its smallest pieces. And, and one of the things that Tim taught me very early was, and I asked him these questions, like, how did you develop this stuff? He said, because why take truth? Is it fundamentally true that leaders have to have the trust of their people? Yes, I can fundamentally say that's got to be there. Do they have to achieve results? Absolutely. Otherwise, they're not doing their job. And if you break those two fundamentals down, you could you can parallel that right to your military career. The leaders you didn't trust, and every veteran will know this, there's certain leaders you're like, I wouldn't trust that person to do anything. Um, the leaders that you didn't trust, you just didn't follow completely. The ones you did, you'd do anything for them. And, and it wasn't a function that they were demanding like in a hateful way but they were demanding because they earned it. And I think that's the, the critical piece is if you as a transitioning veteran want, want to have that leadership role, you have to go earn the trust of the people you're now gonna be with. And it's different. It's not the same kind of trust, it's not combat trust. It's a different type of trust. You have to work on it. And it's a reflection of your character. Do you follow through? It's a reflection of your competence. It's not that I have to know everybody's job. And, and in a platoon, in a unit, you don't know everybody's individual tiny little details you have a general idea and you have to be able to help them be successful. When you're helping them be successful, they go, wow, this leader's pretty competent. They know what they're doing. And then finally, it's the connection piece that do you care about us? And it's whether civilian career, or military career, you know, right away, whether someone gives a crap about you and you're going to watch them. They don't give a, they don't give a rat's butt about us. And when they do and they, and you feel it, they've kind of earned the right through their behavior to lead you. And you're like, I'll do anything you ask. And so when we learn, earn that trust, the next thing is how do I get stuff done? And do I know how to give people exceptional clarity? I will give this to the military. We do clarity pretty darn well. Why? Because we teach to the lowest common denominator. 
And so we practice clarity at the, at the granular level. So clarity of expectation is really good. And then we say, how do we hold people accountable? Well, there's a whole system in every military system to hold people accountable. Observation and action, pay attention, take action. In the Navy, we call it deck plate leadership. You need to be there with your people, seeing how they're doing things to understand how to help them and hold them accountable. And then the final part is to give them support, give them the tools, the training, the resources. And when I heard that from Tim talking about leadership, and that's that lead now model that we work with, that we coach, that lead now model breaks things down into very fundamentals that you can execute. Now, when I come back and I put that into a military perspective, we never really broke it down that way, but we expected those things. And you learned by baptism by fire. What I've learned at Focus 3 is that we're gonna teach you to do these skills. You're still gonna have some baptism by fire, but I'm gonna put the skills in front of you and say, you have the capacity to lead if you'll do these things. The culture side of things that, that we help people develop is the culture of a business unit or a military unit is, is very similar. You have a strategy, you have something your unit is designated to do, whether you're artillery, whether you're um, a special operations unit, whether you're an air wing, you have a, a strategy, a mission that you're there to accomplish. And that strategy requires certain behaviors from everybody. And the better I am at defining my expectations, the more likely I am to get them. And then the last part's the behavior piece. And that's what we call the R factor in, in Focus 3. And R factor is the behavioral skill to see the events of life and the things you're challenged by and understanding the outcomes that your culture wants and the behavior your culture demands tells you how to deal with it. How I feel all the time doesn't necessarily align with what I wanna do. And, and so I'll take that the last piece is, is that this is where your military experience will be exceptionally helpful. How you feel does not align with what you need to do. Well, that's almost a daily exercise in the military, but I generate the personal energy and the personal stuff to go do it. I generate the energy to say, hey, I don't want to go for this long march. I don't want to go for this exercise. I don't want to, but you know what? I know what it requires of me. It's part of my strategy. It's part of our culture. So I'm going to go buck up and go do it. What would your advice be to, to veterans who, um, so reverse engineering uh, that you were taught a system in the military, but it wasn't systematized and it wasn't, it wasn't made as clear as you just laid it out. What is your, what would your advice be to transitioning veterans, whether they be, you know, 20, 25 year guy or gal who has a degree and is going right into mid-level management, or if it's a 22, 24 year old kid um, who, you know, just did the, the first enlistment and is going to college and, you know, going to college around students that are a lot younger than them and then maybe, you know, working a, a, an hourly job to then get to their career. What's your advice to, for veterans to look back and systematize what they learned so that they can apply those skills intentionally in the civilian sector? I still think humility is big. Don't think less of yourself. You're not less important. Just don't think of yourself all the time. And it, it, the humility to say, there's nothing that's beneath me. And I think that's critical because when people start to say that there's certain activities that are beneath me or I shouldn't have to deal with this, I'm entitled to not, I've earned it. I don't need, it's to get humble enough to say, nothing is beneath me. I'm willing to do the work. And my wife laughs. She says, she goes, well, how did, I said, and your, and your dad's actually said this because I don't know if I invested a ton of time in training you. And I think the difference was I invested the time to train myself. And I think that's the critical juncture is can I humble myself enough to say, I'm, I'm gonna have to take a, a mild step backwards maybe to take a step forward. I'm gonna humble myself. I'm going to learn the job. I'm going to learn the people. 
And then once I've done that, I'm going to go drive. If I'm in a leadership role, uh, especially say a, an officer that comes out, how do I transition from this role in military leadership to civilian leadership? Okay, well, first of all, if you're an officer, your words are no longer orders. You are now in a corporate environment. And to understand that I've got to earn the right to lead these people. I earned the right to lead those. Now, how do I earn the right to lead these? And that is give them an experience of you. And that's going to take time. And this is the part that, that they're going to struggle with. There is a time aspect of this. It's not immediate. And so you have to earn it. Now, I've, I've heard horror stories where someone brought in someone that was former military, whether the Marine, Army, whatever. And the person comes in and they treat it like it's a military unit. And they're just hard charging. They drive. Senior leadership loves it, right? Initially. Initially, everybody's like, man, this person's awesome. What happens in six months? People start quitting. People start walking away. People start going, F this guy. I'm not doing that. And what you end up with is what worked there does not always work here. And it's your job to learn it. And a really good a mentor, actually a client of ours, he was talking to me. He said, he read this book and I, I wish I had the book title. He said, once you've earned the trust of your people, don't abdicate your authority. Now it's your time to lead, but you've got to earn that trust first. And I think too many leaders come out and they just want to lead. Well, because in the military, what happens? Even if you're an NCO, you get put into a role, you're automatically a leader and people have to follow. Civilian crew is not going to work back that. They're going to expect you to produce results, but you have a transition period where, where you have to earn trust. And it doesn't stop. You don't stop earning trust. You don't stop behaving. And so giving people a consistent experience of you is critical. Yeah, one thing that uh, dad always taught me, uh, and I'm not sure if, if, if it's in any of your programs now, but uh, or if it's been reworded, but as a kid, dad always taught me to learn to have influence without having authority because, you know, uh, authorities in the person, not the position, or influences in the person, authorities in the position. And I had my second deployment, um, I had uh, an instance where I was put, I, for my job, we worked in crews of three, and I was the lowest ranking individual on that crew, um, but I had the most experience on the jet that we were working on. And the other two uh, guys who outranked me had experience on, on bombers, on B-52s, and we were working on F-15s. So I knew the jet backwards, forwards, and upside down, but I didn't have the authority. And so my mentor, um, uh, Master Sergeant Flight Chief, pulled me aside. He said, hey, I'm going to put you on this crew because I need you to help them learn this jet. And you're not, you're not able to tell them what to do because you, you can't order them. So you have to be the third man on the crew, but you still have to um, lead them to, to learn this jet. And so that I, I pulled that, that uh, advice from dad. And we actually talked a lot about it before I deployed about you know tactically learning how to have influence without having authority. And I actually think that I applied that in the military, but then what you're talking about is applying that once you get out of the military, you have to earn, uh, you have to earn trust in whatever authority that you have by having influence and doing it in a, in, in not just a positive way, but an effective way. I think what you're saying is critical is you're earning it from them. And, and I think that the people who think about their positional authority say they should give it to me because I'm here. And, and what your dad was talking about, what you experienced was, I'm going to go earn it from them. I'm going to demonstrate the behavioral skill. That I know what I'm doing. It doesn't guarantee wins and loss. This is one of the critical pieces that, that people think that if I do this, I'm guaranteed wins and loss. Wins. There's no guarantee. You could do everything right and lose. And I, I say, this is the difference between being disciplined or on what we call default. A discipline is a commitment to a set of principles that I'm going to do certain things a certain way. I'm going to be intentional. I'm going to pay attention to what I'm doing. I'm going to be on purpose. I'm going to, I'm going to know my reason why behind everything. 
and I'm going to be skillful. I'm going to apply the best of my current abilities. If I can do that repeatedly, that's where I get the wins. And that discipline is, is literally the, the, the only thing that's going to take you forward. Now, a lot of folks, I said, will fall to that default, deciding, making my decisions based on how I feel in the moment, making my decisions based on old habits. And this is what kills military members in this, in this civilian world is I want to keep doing my old habits and round peg square hole. If I hit it harder, it'll make it through. That, that's not true. And so the ability to not fall to those habits. And finally is, is don't be resistant. Don't, don't stay in your comfort zone. I think one of the challenges people get comfortable with going to work in the military and everything's laid out for them, everything's there for them. And they, they just want to find a job that gives them that comfort. And, and we've experienced that where people are so comfortable with a way of getting paid, comfortable with a way of doing work, that when you change that, they lack the capacity to, change, to adjust and adapt what I want members to understand is that you're really good at adjust and adapt. Don't let one thing be your comfort zone that you just can't adjust to that. Make the adjustment. I'd actually love to finish up talking about that, talking about the, 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 how can veterans, how can veterans learn that they already do have that skill set that it actually was developed uh, during their time in service and learn to make imperfect progress as they transition out. Because I look back on the last, I've been out for 10, 10, 11 years, going on 11 <laughs> years. And I, it's been a series of, it's been very imperfect progress. It's been a series of failures uh, from then until now. And then now I'm looking forward to failing even more and making even more imperfect progress as I move forward through the next decade of my work life. What, how, how can veterans learn that they, that they already know how to adjust and adapt and actually apply that skill? Well, we happen in the military is you fail, right? And what happens when you have someone senior to you? You make a failure, what do they tell you? Do it again, fix it, make it right. And so we know that we can't just keep doing what we've been doing, it won't work. It didn't work last time, it's not gonna work this time. And so we're gonna adjust and adapt. And whether you're a combat veteran or whether you operate in a different role, you constantly had to make adjustments, equipment changes. If you're in a, flight, a piece of equipment, new equipment, new process, new part, we just have to learn it because it's the only thing required. And the ability to say, hey, there's a new process, there's a new person, a new person, new leadership, new, new strategy, new, new mission, new location, is we have consistently, if, you, if you've deployed, you know what I'm talking about, you get to one of those locations and, hey, there's nothing what we expected. Uh, I just had some friends get back from Afghanistan. And they, they went over there with the intent. The military told them, this is your job when you go overseas. They got there and said, yeah, we're not doing that. And what I think we have the talent for is say, okay, well, what is the new mission? All right, well, what do I need to do? And they just get busy doing it. Now, do people blame, complain, and defend? Absolutely. I think what makes the military member unique is even though in a group of folks, they may blame, complain, and defend, when it's time to do the work, what happens? And this is the, the magic is, they just make the difference. They go, okay, yeah, you know what? It's time to get to work. But I mean, if you took a, if I had a hundred military members in one room and it started to rain gold coins in the room, one person at least would complain about the noise. And, and I get that, but when it's time to go to work, it's time to put that stuff aside and get busy doing what's right. But, but what we find is that as you transition and you're able to make those adjustments, that blaming, complaining, and defending doesn't help you get better. It doesn't, Blaming the system for not preparing you, it's not gonna prepare you. Complaining about the fact that the new world is unfair to you, it's not gonna make it more fair. 
defending yourself, say, well, I did all the right things. Well, you're still losing. So you might want to make some changes. And this is where I, I want that adjustment is adjust your style and say, hey, I'm not going to engage in those things. Is it possible to remove 100% of that out of your life? Maybe, but everybody's got that thing that, that triggers them. If I want to help people adjust is to, to see things clearly and know that there are events in your life that are sending you signals. There, there's, there's overt signals like, hey, you just lost your job. That's an overt E. That's like saying, hey, you lost your job. Do you still have an outcome you have to produce? Absolutely. I got to pay my bills. I've got to put my kids through college. I've got to, to keep my, my rent paid. So what do I have to adjust my behavior? The only thing I can change, the only adjustment I can make is me. I can change the way I do things. And so overseas, you just adjust and say, hey, I guess we're not going to have running water. We're going to have to figure out how to brush our teeth out of a bottle of water. It is what it is. Um, we, we are constantly making adjustments. I want people to see that you're actually really good at adjusting. Don't allow this transition to make you feel entitled. I'm a military member. I'm entitled to find a good job, to have all these things, to have this stuff. Part of the problem with government employees is the fact that they, they say the entitlement. I'm entitled to do what I'm doing, whatever. Well, as you come out, you're not entitled to anything. You have to go earn it. So the adjustment I would say is these events that are telling you you need to change, don't sit there and stay the same. Your life has you on a path. and Your current behavior, the way you do things has you going somewhere. Like in, like in a like a Southwest Airlines flight, when they come on and say, hey, this is the flight to Columbus, Ohio. If that's not where you're going, you should get off now. How many of you are right now in your lives behaving in a way that's taking you to a place that you don't want to go, but you won't stop doing it? And, and I'll use alcohol as a good example. Hey, is, is, is drinking all the time helping you get where you want to go? Do you feel miserable? Is It's not covering it. And, and I had a person, that, a prior alcoholic told me this. He said, he goes, it's a pacifier. It's like you are you are putting the pacifier in your mouth and trying to just quiet all the noise. He said, take the pacifier out of your mouth and just to deal with it, change your behavior. Urban Meyer said it in one of the podcasts about uh, with your dad about if you want to be a professional baseball player, but you've developed a bad drug or alcohol habit. If you can't change that, you're never going to be that person. And same thing with the military. If you're going to make the transition, the, the skills and the behaviors that weren't successful there aren't going to be successful anywhere else. So you need to say, what adjustments are these events sending me? Pay attention. The other thing is, if you're getting these events and you're not getting the outcome you want in your life, but I'm doing everything right, I'm not getting the outcome I want. It's like, okay, it's time to do something different. If you're not happy in the role you found yourself in after the military career and the outcomes that the money, the, the, the satisfaction is not where it needs to be, don't be afraid to change. The fear of change, the actual attitude we bring to change is more detrimental than the change itself. We're human beings, are, we're animals, like anybody else. We, we, we seek comfort and patterns. And what I wanna tell people is if you're gonna make this transition, don't get locked into a pattern. Don't get locked into a way of doing things that's unsuccessful. If, they're, if you're not getting what you want outcome-wise, make a change. If you're not getting, if the events in life are challenging you, it's time to change and just pay attention. I think too often we get into this drone-like mentality of just go to work, just go to work. No, pay attention. I think that's, I think that's a, a great message for vets. There are, there are, uh, there are, are some skills that we developed uh, that are gonna work really well uh, in the civilian world. So let's double down on those. And then there's some that we, that we developed that won't work. And so we need to be ready to, to adjust and adapt and, and, um, and, and change our behavior uh, in ways that, that will make us 
uh, more effective, uh, both for ourselves and for our own fulfillment, um, and then also effective for the teams that we're on and, and for the teams that, that we lead if we're privileged enough to do so. So I think one of the key changes, though, I mean, one of them is language is how we speak to each other. We kind of have a way we speak to each other in the military that you're going to find it it's very, very challenging in the real world. There's I've been addicted to some of the funny memes that are out there and people will, you know, may not understand the way you're speaking to them. So be cognitive of that. Be, be aware. I, I will say this about the transition, and I've done this, is in my desire to fit in to my new civilian world, at some points I've become too passive because I'm trying to fit. I don't want to rock the boat. I don't want to be that military person that comes in and just, I don't want to be that typical Navy SEAL that comes in and just browbeats. And there's been times I've been too passive and said, Hey, it, it's time to actually still be you. Yeah. That a version of that has gotten me to where my book, it's, it's always funny, right? Folks will be like, Oh, well, they'll see military on a resume and they'll expect certain things from you, right? They'll expect that you show up on time, that you're disciplined, that you'll learn the, the job quickly and you'll do it well. And that, that is probably true for the most part, but you and I both know that veterans are just like any other humans that just because you serve in the military doesn't guarantee those things. Yeah. So there's that piece that that always sort of rubbed me the wrong way. And then the other one was that there were certain expectations of how I would do my job because I was in the military. And so because there are some of those skills that I leaned into and 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 the, the, my, my manner of speech and, and sort of my attitude and my approach could seem uh, militaristic in a good way, not in a bad way. Uh, folks be like, oh, that's, oh, that's right. You were in the military. So that's good. Like you have that skill because you were in the military. And I sort of lost my individuality. And I was like, well, yeah, I was in the military. That's not the only reason I, you know, I'm successful at this thing. And so it's learning to find the balance that once you, once you transition, yes, the skills that you developed and what you did have, have served you. And you should absolutely lean into those things because you had that experience. You, you gave as much as you got from that experience. And so, you know, take it, use it and, and be, you know, be who you can be um, on, on the team, on the new team that you're on. She went for the 1980s army reference there. Be all you can be. I like it. I like, I like it going old school. Yeah. I didn't mean to, but here we are. Yeah. Well, um, and, and there's, there's some aspects there that I say, you know, use those skills, but don't fear new skills. You, you never feared them in the military. If someone said, I mean, if you were going to have to learn how to, jump or or fast rope or do anything else like it's kind of got some scariness to it you didn't you were afraid but guess what you did you went anyways um for the navy there's a lot of folks that i was always baffled they joined the navy and they couldn't swim and, and i would stand there next to the pool and go you know you're in the navy right and, and i said but guess what you, you jumped off the platform anyways you you went and maybe you struggled and, and i think that's as a as a thing just help people hey sometimes it's time to jump off the platform Take the risk, do that the hard thing. And guess what? If you fail, it's okay. You failed, fail successfully, learn from it. And, and uh, I'll take something from a sales job I had prior to joining the military. I was working for ADP, the payroll company. And as I was working there, the, the person said, well, how many phone calls and contacts did you have to make to, to sell your first deal? I was like, I have to get called like a hundred people. He said, great. How many did you got a call to sell to? He said, you want to double your success rate in life? Double your failure rate, but fail successfully. And here's what happens. And you'll find this, the veterans on this that are following this will find out if you're failing successfully and learning and paying attention and being disciplined about it, you will get better. And so guess what happened? The next sale took me 80 calls, 80, 80 touch points. And the next one, until finally, by the end of my four-year career at ADP, 
I would contact four or five people before I got a sale. I was smarter. I was, I was more directed. I was more efficient with my calls, my ability to converse with people. And, and even in focus three, your dad had a talk with me and, and I didn't realize it because I had a blind spot and he opened my eyes that he said, he goes, you know, you're really great at teaching our material. You're, you're a wonderful speaker, but you're probably one of the worst listeners I've ever seen. And I was like, ouch, kind of painful. Thanks for the punch in the nose. He said, well, the problem is like you, you sat on that call and you, you asked buying and selling questions. You were trying to drive the conversation. You were a classic salesperson. He said, guess what? In our business, that's not what we do. And I sat there. I was like, well, well yeah, you're asking me to sell stuff. Yeah, this is what we do. And he said, no, your job is to discover, is to learn to listen, hear what they have to say, pay attention to what their points are, what's important to them and make what's important to the other person important to you in a way they can feel it. That's connection. That is, that is truly connecting with another person. It, it's truly caring is what it is. And, and if I can tell, learn to care appropriately, and that is to, to listen, find out what's important. You wanna think about transitioning, find out what's important to the company you're gonna be hired by. Find out what's important to the people that work there. Make those things important to you in a way they can feel it. And if those things aren't important to you and you can't do that, you're probably in the wrong job. I, I think that that is one of the most impactful things. It's slowed me down in, in discovery calls. I don't, I try not to drive the conversation as much as I ask questions. Um, I write a lot of things down that I think are really important to the person. And afterwards, it's ironic. I'll actually call your dad and say, hey, this is the call I had. This is what he goes, okay, did you ask this? And I'll still to this day find out I have room for growth. And, and I think that's what's critical in what we teach is that everybody's got room for growth. Everybody has a place they can get better. The problem is so many of us stop looking for it. So start looking for your edges. And, and again, Urban in the podcast with, with uh, your dad said, he goes, I think what one of his superpowers is in my mind is Urban said, because I have gaps. I have blind spots that I can't see. And I need someone who can be that person to point those out. And he utilized your dad for that. And it was very successful. But I think that to me is, is the real skill is find your blind spots, know what you're not good at, and start getting busy, getting better at them. That's the final skill in our factor. The behavior piece is build skill. Where are the areas in my life that I don't slow down and get clarity, that I just go too fast? Where are the areas in my life where I lack the emotional energy to do what I need to do? I'm not able to get my mind right about things. Where are the areas that I haven't stepped up to and I have got to? Yeah, it's scary. It's scary to step up to that. Heck yeah. Where's, where's the adversity that's hit me that I haven't overcome? I need to get better at overcoming that. Where are the adjustments in my life that I have got to make changes. And, and this is the part of our training. I actually have people write down, what are some things in your life that are sending you signals that you need to make changes at home and at work? And, and I'll use an example for me. I, I came out of the military. I was trying so hard to be everything to everyone else. And I came home and I set my bag down and my son had said, hey dad, can we play? Can we play? Can we play? And I said, give me five minutes. How many of us have said that? I, I took that five minutes. And in that five minutes, he went out and was talking to my wife in the kitchen and she said, she goes, why aren't you playing with dad? And he goes, dad's not interested in me. Now, if that's not a, if you're not paying attention and you're not watching, you'll continue to do that. And your children will feel like you are blowing them off. They're not important to you. And so I took that signal as there's a time for a change. I've got to change the way I deal with them when I come home. That's a behavior that has nothing to do with your job. That has to do with you being a good human being at home. And so I made a deal with myself and them that when I come home from work or any trip or anything else, the first 15 minutes of me being home is theirs and I will wear them out. Sometimes it's annoying because they'll have friends over. And, but the reality is I never want them to have that outcome, that experience that I didn't care. 
And in your transition, don't forget your family. Don't forget the people that love you and care about you the most to take care of you. Be disciplined at home. And we get into this mindset as a discipline at work, discipline at work. Apply that same principle at home. Part of the transitioning challenge is we can, we can wreck home. What's the divorce rate? What's the, the issue? You look across there. I consider myself a, a, an anomaly being married for, for 15 years. And you look at most people in the military. I mean, the divorce rate's insane. Why? Because we stopped being disciplined at home. We were so disciplined at work that we were on default at home. And, and the person we cared about, we stopped paying attention. Yeah, that's a really good point. I think one of the, one of the uh, you know, when you transition out of the military, you both, you transition into the civilian world and there's two worlds. There's the work world and there's the home world. And we can tend to, to forget uh, about, about our home and um, all of the, you know, all the challenges that, that come with military service from deployments and TDYs and assignments and all of those we don't have as many of those challenges in the civilian world. We have a little bit more freedom uh, to be at home more, to be more present. And we can easily get uh, locked into our old habits of separating, you know, work and home. And, and now as civilians, we have the opportunity to, to blend those a little bit, especially right now as we're all experiencing a pandemic where you're work, we're working from home. And, um, you know, if you have if anyone has kids, they know that <laughs> that uh, those worlds are, are not very separate right now. And um, yeah. there'd be a lot more of that in, in the, foreseeable future. So that's a, that's a great skill to develop. If you look at the challenges, why are people struggling? And I was like, you know, I'm struggling at home, I'm struggling at work. And I said, you know what, if I can make you good at one place, be good at home. Cause if that's stable, if that's good, you, you look at my success and I like to think of myself as, as a success. I have gaps. I have things I need to get better at. The, the secret to my success is that I've worked hard here at home. And, and when I first got the job working for your dad, I worked there for about a year at Focus 3. And my wife had, had said, she goes, hey, uh, next time you talk to Tim, just tell him thank you. I said, what do you mean, thank you? She goes, you were an asshole. And since you've been working for Focus 3, it's like you have found a new light, a new way of doing things. And, and you at home are actually more of a joy to be at home. I actually enjoy having you home. There was a time where she just told me, she said, I don't enjoy you being here. Like you're miserable, you're uptight, you're, you're, you're angry a lot about everything. And she said, you've, he gave you an opportunity that you've actually kind of flourished in and you enjoy what you do. Do I still have my gripes? Absolutely. Everybody does. It's, it's the reality that that behavior at home is important. Sometimes we get home and we realize that we almost feel like we're entitled to be an a-hole at home, to come home and say, you know what? I'm entitled to be emotional. I, this is my place. It's like, you're not entitled to that. It's like, do they deserve that? And I, and I want people to say, hey, they deserve the best version of me as much as the people I work with. That will be your biggest transition. You want to have a transition skill. If you have a family, if you're, if you're married, if you are just, if you have kids, make that right. Make that right. And you'll be amazed how much the work stuff starts to become easier. So true. That's a, uh, that's a, a great, great place to end. Um, so can, can you, uh, where can folks find you? Are you active on LinkedIn or any other social media, Twitter, Instagram? Yeah. I'm only really active on the LinkedIn side. I've never been a big social media guy. So, so LinkedIn's kind of my place. But the, the biggest thing is at focus3.com. If you go look at that, you can see kind of what we do and you can look at, at the content and what we teach. And, and one of the things I can tell people, if you're interested in learning anything, hey, I need to get better. I was like, we, we've got virtual stuff that, that's very low barrier of entry. I mean, you can get on that virtual training and honestly, at least start on a path of kind of understanding I will tell them they're going to get a little bit of uh, your dad in there because your, your dad's filming of that R factor. 
if nothing else, take that opportunity, take that opportunity to invest less than a hundred bucks to say, you know, would I put a hundred bucks into myself to potentially have a better outcome? And, and I think that people look at that and say, I'd be willing to take that shot. And here's, here's the thing I've discovered when people take it on themselves to do it, it's self-directed and self-directed adjustment is so much more successful than being told to fix yourself. That that's yeah, that is uh, that is so true. And, uh, and definitely uh, the, the main difference between what you guys teach and, uh, and I think what everybody else in your industry teaches. And that's, uh, that's, that's crucial. And uh, yeah, we'll definitely put a, a link in the, in the show notes and um, send people that way. Um, really appreciate your time as always. And uh, I'm okay, good to talk to you. It's been a while since we've been face to face. Yeah. So it's been a little bit. Yeah. Cool. So I, I, uh, I have a feeling we'll probably do, do, do more of these in, in the future because there's a lot of content packed in here and we'd love to unpack uh, some, some more specifics and uh, some more strategic approaches to specific skills uh, in the future. But um, yeah, appreciate your time. 